we don't know each other. And when we tell each other stories, we know each other. When we listen to each other's stories and be curious, we know each other. That's step number one. It's Uncommon Good, the podcast where we talk with ordinary people doing uncommon good in service of our common humanity. I'm Polly Reese. Fam, this is a slightly different episode. Yeah, because you, you see only me here, and that's because this is the first ever episode where I'm going to tell you a little bit about why we're doing this. This is just me talking straight to camera, talking with you, nothing to hide. Like, empty hands and everything, there are no notes prepared. I've done some thinking, but I want you to know a little bit about the thinking, a little bit about the purpose of this work. So I'm going to share with you a bunch of stories about why Uncommon Good exists, why it's called Uncommon Good, the goals of the podcast, my journey to this point, and then I'm going to ask for some input from you, for you to share what your uncommon good is for you to share what you'd like to see and what you'd like to hear what you need to hear how we can work together and support each other and serve each other and love each other and do good for on behalf with and do good to each other so um, let's get started let's get started I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a snowy winter day. It was February 7th, 2021. A guest of a show, you haven't heard her episode yet, but she's fantastic, Violet Little. She is the founder of a, a project, the chief pastor of a project here in Center City, Philadelphia called The Welcome Church, a church without walls. I happen to be one of the, the lay pastors. There are a lot others, but it was a snowy day. It was one of the snowiest days that winter, Sunday, February 7th, 2021. Violet's a Lutheran pastor, and under most Sundays, under most circumstances, rain, shine, snow, sleet, hail, blazing hot, freezing cold, you would find Violet and the rest of the pastor team, me, an excellent uh, Presbyterian minister, um, Pastor Shonel, um, an excellent Lutheran a pastor in training uh, by the name of Waverly, a wonderful pastor named Peter. Um, yeah, we've, we've got a, a, a very ragtag band. And then me, who's like Episcopalian-ish, you know, that's, that's how I'm trained. And that's the specific denomination that I'm trained in. Not ordained in, but trained in um, for, for, for pastoral work. And we would be out there, we'd be talking with people, We'd be listening to their stories about how their weeks went. But what's important, we'd be out on the steps of the, the Franklin Institute. If, you, if you've ever visited Philly and you know the sort of museum district area, the Ben Franklin Boulevard area, we'd be out there 
in the little park. It's called Aviator Park across from the Franklin Institute. This is the same parkway where the Barnes Institute is, the um, the the Rodin statue, the Thinker statue is there. Then there's the Philadelphia Museum of Art with the Rocky Steps, yeah, um, and and the statue there, and the beautiful waterfront there, where where they have lots of boathouses from the different universities, all lit up beautifully in the evenings. But it's a very snowy day. We're all out there. I've ridden down from Chinatown. I'm staying in an Airbnb at the time because the house where I lived, uh, we had a house fire earlier that earlier that that winter, about about five, six, seven days earlier. Um, we're we're all locked down. It's it's winter 2021, and we're back to like the stricter lockdowns, and so. Here we are. I've I've ridden my my folding bicycle down to the parkway. Somehow I've managed to survive slish slipping and sliding around in all of the snow. Instead of doing a service because we're still under COVID considerations, a vaccine is not yet widely available and so none of us are vaccinated and we're trying to have our do our best to chat to the people who are there, who are specifically people who are chronically unsheltered, who are experiencing homelessness. There's a group of people who live in that parkway who who stay out there more or less around year round. Um, some people who are there by choice. And there are lots of reasons why people choose a lifestyle of chronic unsheltered living. I won't claim to know nearly even a corner, like a tiny little glimpse of their experiences. Um, and those stories are not mine to share. They belong to the people who have lived them. But suffice it to say, there are people who choose to be chronically unsheltered and there are others who don't who who are chronically unsheltered they don't want to be but they are and then on occasion we'll see people who have formerly been chronically unsheltered but who have found housing um usually along with housing comes more stable employment not everybody who lives out there is is uh is fully unemployed there there are there are some who who have meaningful work or at least enough work for them to to live the life that they desire but not all do but on this particular day nobody who wasn't planning on sleeping out there was there it was just a couple of the residents of the parkway who were sort of bracing against the snow, bracing to stay warm and dry. So we're doing our best to hand out socks because everybody needs socks. We're doing our best to hand out, I think we had like snoods, like warm cowls that had been crafted by hand from the yarn crafts 
group that we we call them Welcome Church Art, um, and that's headed by um, our phenomenal art director Rachel. All of all of all, all of us are 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 volunteers. By the way, we have we have a couple of clergy that are that are that are um, compensated to help run um, the administrative stuff, but but the rest of us, myself included, are volunteers. So we're doing this check. Um, we're doing this work of making sure that people are warm enough, at least to be able to be able to survive the night. That people have access to a bathroom if they want it. That people have someone to talk to. Um, people have a pastor to talk to to listen to them to to be present to bear witness to what they're experiencing we finish our time i'm getting ready to because of this house fire that i've just lived through i suppose i should tell that story too um so the house fire i was living with some roommates very queer safe space up in uh, northeast philly and so the house that I was living in, um, the it shared a wall with the house next door. And the the lady who uh, lived in the house next door as a smoker um, would regularly come out to the porch for her morning, mid-morning, afternoon, late afternoon, evening, dinner time, early evening midnight snack um smoke break constitutional and this one day she flicked the the unextinguished cigarette butt and missed the can and it fell into the tiny little crack between the porches and into our basement of the house where I was living and the basement caught fire. And I didn't think anything of it. I started to smell the smoke. My lockdown nesting place is on the, the second floor of this house. And it's not uncommon for, it wasn't uncommon at the time. My neighbors on the other side separated by a fence and yard um they were a big fan of year-round fire pitting and so when i smelled the smoke oh i thought oh just the neighbors are having a fire pit thing i was wrong the smoke got thicker the smoke the smell of the smoke got heavier i'm on a i'm i'm on a i'm on a web call um with some friends i think it was a saturday morning um we're doing a production meeting for an internet show that I worked on at the time called Props, a hip-hop game show fronted by the phenomenal BS, um, David Bradshaw, um, rapper alias BS, and the legendary beatboxer Heirloom Beats, both out of out of New York. Check them out on, on the YouTubes. I'll link to their stuff. And... Suddenly, my my roommate, uh, my roommate stroke landlord stroke ho- house owner homeowner, Aaron bursts into the room and says, "Polly, we need to get 
the hell out of here. The house is on fire. The house is on fire, except like a lot more urgent and forceful and yeah. So we, we go running out of the house. Literally people see me disappear from camera and I get a call that like, I get a call from them like a half an hour later to to find out what's going on. Meanwhile, and, and I don't know, the house is on fire. Smoke is billowing up from from the ground. And we find out that, yeah, the house is on fire. The fire department is called. We evacuate. Smoke continues to billow up and through. They manage to save the structure of the house, confine the fire to mostly the the basement area. But the basement is is a pretty more or less total loss. The house is still structurally sound, but because of the mildew and the smoke and all of the all all of the damage from saving the structure the house was uninhabitable for the foreseeable future right so Aaron's insurance pays for a an Airbnb for the the roommates and we leave and the Airbnb that we're staying in is in is in Chinatown so that's how I get to this point of displacement and of of just things feeling sort of fallen apart on top of it being a pandemic, on top of not really knowing like what the future looks like in terms of work or a sense of what my personal life mission and goals are or what to do i i just just before the pandemic like the last graduating class of the before times i'd graduated from yale divinity school and was was dreaming of becoming um, a clergy person becoming a priest in the episcopal church in my hometown of philadelphia yeah feels like home i've been living in philly since 2011 so it's my adult home or as i like to tell people my poor um, bohemian young adult struggle years. They're still my poor, still bohemian, not so young, but very much adult years uh, here in Philly. And what should happen but on the way home, I'm pedaling down one of the streets back to the Airbnb. I remember leaving the site and then I wake up, looking up, lying down, fluorescent lights, and I hear the language and they, they use my legal name, they, they, use, they use the dead name. I hear the language, Paul, you've been in a car accident. You were riding your bike and you were hit by a car. 
just suddenly world changing, world shifting. As soon as you think that your life can't be more displaced than it already is, it becomes displaced even more. That was what happened to me that day. I want to tell you I want to be able to tell you like what all of that felt like what I remember but the thing the thing is that I I apparently got the, the exact right hit of um of the head that I lost the short term memory of the day I I don't remember anything after leaving the after leaving the space after departing on my bicycle to go back to the airbnb i don't remember the route home we were able to reconstruct some of my path because it looks like that i bought like a a thing of french fries from one of the restaurants on the way i don't remember being hit i don't remember the ambulance i don't remember the some 30 or so hours of life-saving surgery to fix a punctured lung, a, a punctured kidney and liver to cut me out of the layers of clothing that I was wearing to help keep me warm and dry. The, the helmet, the bicycle helmet, the the bright neon yellow bicycle helmet that I wore that absolutely shattered, that clearly saved my life. And the pain of all 12 of the ribs and the clavicle that shattered on my right side, I don't remember any of it. But apparently after all of this life-saving surgery, I finally woke up. And I, as I like to summarize it when I'm talking with people, I had a 10-day all-inclusive stay at Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Center City. I, I, I don't even know. Like, even now as I'm sitting and I'm reflecting on that, there's just such profound... <sighs> there's parts of it that are nothing because it was such an incredible just mix of things that was happening. And I remember just only bits and pieces of the day of the weird experience of being a non-binary person, of being being trans and being in the middle of like figuring out social transitioning and thinking to myself now suddenly i'm in one of the least trans safe spaces i could potentially be in this city outside of going someplace further south or further west into central pennsylvania i'm in a hospital where they only care about legal gender, where I'm not going to be seen as a person, but as a patient, where 
I'm one bet among hundreds, maybe thousands. I don't know. Um, but here's this place where I am laid bare in a very real sense. I have a I have a hospital gown. Um, the, my throat is sore, so it's probably intubated at some point. My, my side has holes in it where there are yards and yards of tubes and things that have been inserted to help save my life where there are open wounds slowly healing from the surgery that was needed to give me a new clavicle to give me new titanium ribs yeah and also just the the weird pain of the bump on the the head All of that. I didn't feel most of it because um, like I was really well suppressed on pain meds um, and I had an epidural in which is this thing that helps you not feel pain, I guess. I, uh, I yeah. <sighs> I'm so grateful to the friends and family, the phone calls, especially my Freestyle Love Supreme Academy, now FLS Plus, my family there who sent flowers, helped me figure out how rent was going to get paid and how things, how I was going to eat. I'm so grateful to friends like, um, Christina Levis of the co-conspirators agency. Then at the time we were working in Philly, working on a, a project called off mic comedy club, because all of us standups and improvisers were all just couldn't work, couldn't play, couldn't have fun, couldn't do the things that we loved. Grateful to them. Grateful to um, my, my clergy person to, to, um, the very Reverend Judy Sullivan at the Philadelphia Episcopal Cathedral who who called me and 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 chatted me and and supported me through that time and who had the entire congregation just praying and lifting me up to um to Sam Cap another um Philadelphian former comedian um host of Sam, we are um, the former podcast and now having like incredible hosted events here in Philly. Um, specifically loves doing Quizzo, oftentimes at Monster Vegan. Go check it out. Um, my partner at the time, so grateful to you as well. You know who you are. You spent more or less every day, even while you were working on a graduate degree during the pandemic um you spent 
virtually every waking moment with me in that time. I can't express enough how grateful I am for the time that you spent with me then. And for all of the ways that you supported me and just loved on me, um, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful. You know who you are. I'm very grateful. So, the time since then has been this constant process of recovery, of of healing, of so many things of journey and growth and renewal of some things coming to an end there's there's too much to be said in one episode of this podcast <laughs> um so i guess there there'll need to be another story at some point but i divided my time for the next 5 6 months between my partner's place and my parents place because I just couldn't do anything. Like when when your body has experienced that much physical trauma, you even though even though my legs weren't explicitly broken, I had a I had a, a sprained ankle, not even a not even a break, but just a sprain. Um like it's really hard to walk. The it's really hard to it's really hard to take care of yourself. It really is. You really can't. So my my constant companions at the time <laughs> were um two friends i like to call stardew valley and hades yeah and i played those games so much from my sick bed as i've been sick and have continue to seek recovery that I actually wore out um, the control keys on the keyboard. Um, those of you those of you who have played who have played open world games like what Stardew Valley is, um, who have played combat games like what Hades is, if you're not using a controller, um, at the time, um, it was the Switch controller, the PS5 controller hadn't been released yet. Um, then you know that oftentimes for directional, you're using the W key, the A key, the S key, and the D key. And you use them like like arrows. I played those games so much in my sickbed that I wore out those keys. Like, yeah. Because... When you can't move, when there's a pandemic, when it's unsafe to go out, even to do your own grocery shopping, to go and pick up your own food from the drive through and to go and pick up your own pain uh, prescriptions, um, 
you you just stay inside. Um, at the time, it was the Delta variant, like that that really deadly one that we didn't have. Um, we we didn't really know about. Um, my parent and my parents live in Central Pennsylvania, the house where I grew up in, same house where uh, uh, that I lived in there. Um, so convalesced in my childhood bedroom. Um, and. I had done some thinking from my therapist who was the same therapist that I had worked with when I was a student at Yale Divinity School. Um, so grateful for you too. You know who you are. Um, and one of the things that we had talked about, um, because I had been treated a little bit for depression um, before um, before um, the, the, the lockdowns began in March of 2020, but one of the th one of the things that she and I had worked on together is that depression is really my depression. What what seemed like depression was really just um, was really just secondary to to ADHD, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. So. The the work of this that we had started to talk about is you can't control other people's actions, but you can control the response that you have, that your body has. You can decide, start working on deciding like what you really want, what's really important. We, we are told that there are so many things that are important to us or should be important to us, like work, family and specifically a version of making a family um being involved in in politics and all which is not to say that any of these things aren't important like they are at least for now they are the way that our society functions of of having either your either or both of your blood family or your chosen family having work that helps get bills paid having relationships that that give you purpose and meaning usually usually that looks like either having a a significant other some sort of partner or spouse or um communally that can be that can be a close group of friends for some people it can be a community of spirituality whatever the things that we are told are important the the challenge that I was starting to work on for my therapist was her pushing me to think about why are they important? And now, mind you, I'm Korean. I'm, I'm a Korean adoptee. I, I was born in Korea, adopted by lovely white parents who did their level best by me, bringing me up. But there are like these questions. My history is of being a people pleaser and being an achiever, all of that model minority stuff, um, that's a part of my history, a part of when people who are in authority over me are happy, then I'm happy. When they appear to be unhappy, then I'm unhappy. Um, so the challenge for me was, what do you actually want? 
when you get a get the next level deeper under all of the things that you think that you're supposed to do that you've been taught to do that sound right to you what do you actually want do you want to be ordained in your faith tradition great well why do you want that that was and that was the big thing i had gone to seminary um i'd gone to yale divinity school i'd patterned my life in that direction for probably a good seven years, nearly eight years at the time, pursuing that, had committed my waking energy, had committed my the love that I had to give to that work. And it was as a part of doing some of that work that I was out there in, um, in the snow in the first place. Um, because I, I, had, I had done an internship that introduced me to this beautiful community. But but the, the, the question that I kept getting asked was why? Why do you think that you want these things? What is the thing underneath that that you actually want? What I discovered was that I really want to build community. Like, I really want to build a place where people who share identities with me can belong without being asked questions of why they're there. people who have been othered for the vast majority of their life. Future guest uh, Tori Mick, who, who's a military kid, talks about be, being a third culture kid, about traveling and constantly like not having the same sort of rootedness connected to a specific place. Future guest... Erendira Jimenez is going to talk about the work of moving forward and renegotiating, redefining the relationship between self, the, the spiritual leader, and church. What that means to not separate, but to redefine the relationship of, of spiritual leadership. And then thinking about future guest Violet Little, who's going to talk about and 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 my my mentor and advisor, and who who is the the founder and administrator of this Welcome Church community, is going to talk about what it looks like to be guided, to be driven by the teachings of Jesus in Philadelphia, the poorest big city in the world, and what it looks like to live a life that is guided by those principles and to not ignore that nagging, still, small voice that says, it's time. It's time to do 
something meaningful to look after people who are so severely impacted by poverty, by homelessness, by disenfranchisement and displacement. All of those things. And what I realized is that's what I really wanted. That's what I really desired. That's what has taken root inside of me. This profound desire to build a place of welcome, of actual, authentic, unreserved welcome for everybody and to to build, to hold within myself, in my work. And this gets a part in, into, into, for me, what gender identity is and what gender queerness is, is to, to build and hold within myself the container in which that life, that, that spirit, that community can be formed. And for the longest time, I thought that the way to do that that is most accessible to me in the world that I know was being a clergy person and doing that work in churches, I still think that that's a very good place to do that work because the dogma of Christian churches is to be of the teachings of Jesus, to do all of these things, to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, to look after the poor, the sick, the meek, the brokenhearted, the peacemakers, the orphans. I was like, I, I was adopted from an adoption agency, like the widowed, the people that the world has forgotten and to create a space where they can flourish and thrive and be seen and known and to know people. That's what I want. That's why we do the theater. That's why I've done all of the work of improv and comedy because these are the places. And and this was the thing. This is this is the reason why I'm like really enamored with Jesus is because while we don't really have an idea of how many of the stories that, that are told about Jesus are actually true to the person, the, the physical human being of Jesus that we think lived. Um, and, and, and we don't know, like we, we have a, we have a reasonably firm idea that there was probably a person called Jesus, but we don't know. We don't know even if all of the things that were said that he did actually happened it's probably not historically likely that they all happened that one person did them. So we're accepting, we're accepting and we're accepting that according to scientific historical fact that they may not have that's that that's possible. That's not really the point of biblical narrative. That's not really the point of the teachings of Jesus in the Bible. The point is to tell a good story and to tell the story of how, God loves us and to tell the story of 
the healing of relationships. That's the point of the Bible, not to not to prove that that Jesus was a, a scientifically real human being who did all the things that he said that he did in the way that we have come to know that language in 2022, almost 2023. That's a conversation for another day. I'm excited for you to hear um, Naomi Washington Lee Hart's reflections on that. But suffice it to say, for all of those reasons, because that structure of belief exists in Christian churches, that's what I know because I was raised an evangelical Christian and saw churches claiming to have a way of creating that healing of that redemption of that restoration of well well-being well yeah no some wealth as well like prosperity gospel and the evangelical christian tradition is a real thing but church is claiming to offer that sort of healing and building that sort of community that is the language that i knew and so the place where it made the most sense for me in the path of least resistance to do that work I think what I learned and what I realized is that I had a choice. In those times, I had a choice because the path of the path of becoming a clergy person the path of, at least in my tradition, the Episcopal Church, and in many of the other traditions that I've studied um, that, are, that are very adjacent, where the Episcopal Church has agreements of theology and doctrine and practice of worship. The thing that I realized is that the work of a clergy person, the work of a church, especially as churches are in this place of transition and reckoning where they are actively losing financial stability and social moral authority and people in the pews. The thing that I realized is that the sort of community that I'm talking about forming the sort of community that I'm talking about creating, the sort of community that I wished I had, and I am still searching for myself, is never going to be the primary intention of a church. And that was a hard realization to make. And that the work of forming that community and doing it in a way that I have capacity, especially now that I'm disabled, um, some of you, some of you have heard how sometimes it is hard for me to find a 
to find the right words. I just did it there. Um, yeah, yeah, got there, there, there is, there is, that's, that's the trauma. That's the impact of profound body trauma, like in my body. Um, I, I, I walk around with a few extra pounds of titanium in my body. Um, the way that not just in terms of anecdotal conversations that I have with clergy friends that I know from my graduating class at Yale Divinity School at YDS, um, clergy that I see here in town. Um, consulting that I do, clergy are burning out at a rate that's greater than it's ever been, at least in, in modern history. I physically, cognitively, emotionally, mentally do not have the capacity for that anymore. And in my tradition, the work of a clergy person is specifically about creating and, and being responsible for sacramental elements of community. Um, we, had a, we had a long sort of explanation of, of the notion of sacramental theology in the episode with Shane Claiborne, but suffice it to say, the idea of some sort of physical act that symbolizes, and depending on who you ask, not just symbolizes, but actually kind of by magic in a, in a way that scientifically we don't understand that doesn't make sense. In that same way, there's that old phrase that um, magic is only science that we haven't understood yet. But the notion that sacramentality is a specific physical act that acts both in the physical realm and in the spiritual reality to acknowledge um, a specific divine encounter with the presence of God. Certainly it doesn't in my tradition. Um, you can look at different Christian traditions. Some really lean into the language of sacramental theology. Some don't. I am not enough of an interfaith scholar to say anywhere beyond the Christian tradition, how far that language goes is applicable, whether there are overlays or parallels. But what I discovered is that all of these questions about building this community around the big questions of life, the unanswerable questions, that in this time, as we are emerging from the stricter parts of the lockdowns while we continue to be impacted by the pandemic, by COVID, that these questions of the, the big existential stuff, who are we? What do we owe to each other as people? What is our responsibility to the planet that we live on? And that because of our actions collectively as a society is slowly killing that planet, which in turn is slowly killing us. And on top of that, at least the, the clear and present piece of it, how do we process all of these things while we don't have the easy 
piece of direct human to human connection in COVID. Asking these questions, digging a little deeper. So I dug into that first question, that question, what do we owe to each other? There was the good place. Like this, this was on TV at the time. These were the questions that were actively being asked. Grateful to my friends at Interfaith Philadelphia, the Interfaith Council here, um, asking, well, who gave me the language to, to really be able to form that we are so polarized right now, neighbor against neighbor, friend against friend, stranger against stranger. We are on edge. We are radicalized. Sometimes we're not even able to talk with each other. And it can be any number of things. It could be the 24-hour news cycle. It could be politics. It could be the fact that it's been physically unsafe for us to spend time with each other. It could be different ideologies. Certainly, I'm no stranger to getting weird looks and transphobic and racist catcalls on the street. It can be any number of things of how, as human beings, we are no longer on each other's team, to take Tarek Davis's um, reflections about having long COVID. We're not on each other's team. And in, in this world, as human beings, we are the only teammates. We are the only allies we have. And we're slowly killing each other with all of the anger and mistrust and hate. We're slowly killing each other with all of the pain and all of the unprocessed, unexamined, ongoing, collective compound trauma that we're all experiencing. And we don't need more, with, with all of the love of all of the people who are doing the work in the podcast space, who are doing the work in the comedy and satire space to draw attention to all of the ways that identities that intersect mine, um, people of color, people who are disabled, people who are gender non-binary, non-conforming, otherwise queer, fluid, expressive. The trans community, the, the orphan community, the poor community. For all of the work and all of the important work that's being done to draw attention to how we are being mistreated on the basis of identity, not on the basis of our actions, of our behavior, but all of the baked-in inequality and injustice in our system. I want, to, I want to contribute to a discourse that goes a step further than that. I want to be contributing to a discourse that says all of those things are true. 
I don't know who you are as a person, but I want to know. So many guests have said, but thinking especially of Ashley Castaldo, it's really hard to hate someone whose story you know. So we begin with the story. On every podcast, we try to work in, like, what was it like for you? What is your story? How did you get to where you are today? We start with that. And usually we start around breakfast because breakfast is great and I love making it. Specifically, I love making coffee. Uh, It's so good. Coffee with a good scone, a good tea biscuit, like pan dulce from my favorite um, pastelaria in the Italian market. Um, God, I love those conches. They're so good. So grateful for my time in Oaxaca where I learned about them. Um, That's a story for later, too. But thinking about, it's really hard to hate someone whose story you know. When you know where they've come from, what they've been through, the pain that they've endured, the joys that they've savored, the love that they've given, received, lost, had unrequited We don't know each other. And when we tell each other stories, we know each other. When we listen to each other's stories and be curious, we know each other. That's step number one. Step number two. For everyone except for... (laughs) For everyone I've spoken with except for um, Chinese-Australian comedian He Huang... um, who as of this taping just got her thousandth subscriber on YouTube. Congratulations. We're so excited for you. Um, But for everyone else, regardless of what side of the political spectrum you sit on, what your belief structures are, where the work of spirituality has brought you, whatever language you use for it or don't use for it, I don't know a whole lot of people who think that the world is headed in like the right direction. I don't know a lot of people who are looking at the world and thinking, oh, the world is pretty easy to live in right now. And so it feels like finding ways of refilling the wellspring of where joy sits, where gratitude sits, where hope sits, where Where the emotional center that keeps us grounded, connected to the planet, and rooted in the earth sits. That work feels really important. So I've asked people what they do for hope, what they do to refill the tank, to refresh the wellspring. Um, And let me tell you, prevailing wisdom I am not sleeping enough. I am not meditating enough. I'm not drinking enough water. 
I'm not getting outside enough. All of those things. Um, those are like 90% of the things. And I suppose that goes back to the language of paying attention to the body, uh, of paying attention to what the body can do in in language that I'm trained in that has a spiritual connotation to it, we would call that embodiment and incarnation. But the notion that all of the things, the thoughts, the, the feelings in our heart, the spiritual urges that come from a place to address the big questions that we can't answer ourselves, that all of those things live inside our physical body. And we should not live with them, act on them or not, be guided by them in a way that ignores the living, breathing component of ourselves. So what do we, what do, we do to refill the wellspring, to keep it ever flowing and bubbling? That's important. I think when I started taping, like I began with the assumption that whatever that spiritual nurturing is, is important. And that that's, that's at the center of what we're doing because that is what has been at the center for me being in conservative evangelical Christianity. But the more time that I've spent talking with people, listening to their stories and getting further into it, especially if you heard my first ever taping with John Hansen, um, that's not always true. That's not always true that the language of religion and spirituality or faith or belief is life-giving. Or some of those languages may not, and some of them might be. But the point being that I am my beliefs are constantly being tested and constantly being put on display and being questioned. And my assumptions are constantly being questioned by this work, by the, by my guests, by these brilliant people who are coming into the uncommon good collective. And I love it. I'm so grateful each and every time. And what I realized is that if I found a way to ask these questions that get into the language of spirituality, of the things that we can't quantify, the things that we can't necessarily talk about, discuss, experience through chiefly our senses alone, if I removed the specific frame of religion from that conversation, that there are so many more people who have so many things to say and to contribute to this conversation, but for whom have been left out, who have been, who speak the same meaning, but speak a different language of deep intrinsic meaning. So it's a broader, wider table. It's a broader, wider invitation.
it's a broader, wider way of expanding this conversation and listening to the wisdom in the room of everybody. And at least in the communities that I've walked in, that's not something that can happen there. Not the religious communities. That's, that's not a language that a lot of religious communities that I've walked in, that's not a language that fits their systems of belief. And that's fine. That's actually okay. It wasn't okay for me for a while, but it is now. It doesn't mean that I can't go in and find joy and learn how their language of belief works and to participate as much as I am welcome. Sometimes I'm not. And the thing that I'm learning is that when I'm not welcome, especially as I have extra metal in my body, probably a few a few less years of of self-reliance and independence in my life than I did before the crash. I can't control other people's reactions to me, but I can control my actions in response to them. And if I'm not welcome, then I don't want to I don't want to waste energy on places where I'm not welcome. Yeah. But finding finding the language, finding the language to be able to at least the table that I'm setting for people to come to to be present. Find the, the language to say, I don't know your story, but I can't wait to hear it. Even if your story is different than mine and disagrees radically with mine, as long as you don't disrespect my human dignity, like as long as it's not personal, but you're just telling me your story, come tell your story. I'll listen. I might not understand, but I'll listen. I'll do my best. As long as what you want is to make your corner of the world a better place and you're committed to living your life in a way that does that, whatever that means to you, like come tell your story, come be present here, come help me understand, come broaden the space of all of us working together to make our communities wholer, richer, more beautiful, more loving places. That's the work of this project. And that's the third question. That's the question that we end every taping with, this question of impact and the little things that we do to have the impact that we see that we want. This question of legacy that has made some people laugh, that has made some people sort of sit back and think, oh, that's a very That's the question. And that question is, what do you want the world to look like when you're done with it? And it's specifically written that way because we all have agency in this world. We all have power. 
And I wish we thought more about what we wanted our power to do. It might not be power over power with. It might not be power and agency over anything besides our own body. And in my experience of disability, sometimes we even lose that. But you have, you have real power wherever you are rooted, wherever you are placed, wherever you feel love, wherever people accept you for who you are, you have real power to change that corner of the world. And maybe someday it'll be a little bit more. Someday it'll be a little bit less. But what do you want your impact to be? What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want the world to look like when you're done with it? For me, honestly, I have no idea. I wish I knew. I wish I had a good answer. I don't. I don't have a good answer to my own question. What do I want the world to look like when I'm done with it? I'm going to steal a line from Anthony Veneziali. I don't think I'm ever going to be done with the world, but the world will most certainly be done with me. And that's all right. One of the phrases that we use in improv, in improv comedy, is, and this is, this was, I was reminded from the language of, um, former guest John Hansen, uh, who has been impacted by Nick Gillette. Nick, if you're listening, come be on the show. Um, and from my teachers in in that place. Um, thinking about you, Steve Kleinadler, Christian Shear, so many good teachers. Lou Armistead, Chris Shockwave Sullivan. And Anthony Veneziali, Andrew Bancroft of, of the, the Freestyle Love Supreme team. My buddy, Jay Ellis, Andrew Flores, um, Shamara Hernandez of the, of the Academy Community of Color team. First and foremost, love y'all. Miss ya miss having zoom ciphers i hope we do one sooner rather than later secondly the language is bring a brick bring a brick to the, the the project of building you don't have to build the entire cathedral somebody will have finished it someday but bring a brick the type of community that i am seeking to build is a place where we can actually all feel like we belong and I know that that's not going to exist. Certainly not in my lifetime. Certainly probably not in seven lifetimes if the planet is still here. But if with the work of this project, of uncommon good, we can create together, you, the listener or viewer, the wildly, wickedly brilliant 
guests who are contributing their voices to this conversation of the collective to help us get started. If we can all work together to build that world where all of us outcasts and misfits and pay you, pay you all heed. We all have parts of us that are outcasts or misfit. Regardless of who you are, we all have those parts that in the squishy, vulnerable center we feel are unpresentable. That we feel if we ever showed that level of vulnerability, people would hate us. If we had a place where we could lead from that vulnerability to where we could say, this is my wounding, and yes, this is not a replacement for therapy, but it is a community where we can work together to build more understanding across lines of difference to build Sometimes I think we might even still be at the level where we need to start learning to tolerate each other again. But if we can aim for understanding, for loving the neighbor, for loving ourselves, for loving the planet, If this show can be a part of doing that work, then I think the world can be done with me. The world can be done with me. Yeah. The world can be done with me. If there's anyone else that needs to be thanked more, it's y'all. Thanks for being a part of this community. Thank you to the people who have already lent their voices to the collective. My, my past guests and future ones, you know who you are. Can't wait to, to chat to you. Can't wait to continue the discourse. You can find me usually walking the streets of Southwest Philadelphia. Uh, you can find me riding my e-bicycle around Martin Luther King Drive or maybe out on, on Kelly Drive or maybe you'll even see me some night working on editing down the show at a bar stool at the Wissahickon Brewing Company. Come say hi. I would love to meet you and talk with you about the podcast and talk with you about what your vision for the world, what you want the world to look like when you're done with it. With that, thank you so much for tuning in to Uncommon Good with Polly Reese. This program is produced in Southwest Philadelphia on the unceded land of the Lenny Lenape tribe and the Black Bottom community. If you enjoyed listening to the show, please support us by leaving us a five-star review and a comment and subscribing to wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps people find us. And as of now, as of today, you can now also find us on Amazon Music and TikTok. Uncommon Good is also available on YouTube and Instagram. Follow us there for accessible video content and more goodies. We love questions and feedback. You can send us a DM on Instagram. You can reply to a community post on YouTube 
or you can send us an email at uncommongoodpod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. We can't do it without you. Until next time, wishing you every uncommon good to do your uncommon good to be the uncommon good.